0: Just a quick heads up that I am currently on maternity leave, which means that the Fertility Co podcast is taking a break, but please don't panic because I'm already working on some exciting things behind the scenes. And when I come back, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you a brand new, completely free mini course, all about ovulation and finding your fertile window. In the meantime, there are still heaps of ways that you can continue to learn about your fertility and your menstrual cycle while I take a break. If you're just getting started with charting your cycle, you can check out my free fertility roadmap. If you want to dive deeper and learn exactly when you're ovulating, then you can watch my Fix Your Fertility Masterclass. There is, of course, also my Conceive With Confidence workshop series, and of course, my flagship online program, Fertility School. If you want individualized support from a trained fertility educator, that's me, then you can book in to my waitlist for a one-on-one consult, and I would love to work with you to achieve your fertility goals in 2024. Spots are strictly limited, though, and links to all of those resources are in the show notes. In this episode, we're talking about sperm. <laughs> I'm Rachel, and I am obsessed with all things periods, pregnancy, pelvic floor, and helping women just like you to navigate all of life's major milestones. I'm a physiotherapist, a natural fertility educator, and my passion is teaching women how to take control of their health. Fertility, pregnancy, nutrition, and menstrual cycle health, we'll dive deep into all of it right here. All those questions you've been secretly Googling, all those things you're too embarrassed to ask your doctor because, well, we're women. Shouldn't we just know this stuff? So get comfy and get ready to finally have all of your questions answered. Hit subscribe now and let me teach you what they never taught us in health class. Want to say goodbye to hormonal contraceptives and their weird and unpleasant side effects? Want to improve your chances of conceiving quickly and naturally? Sounds like you need my Fertility Roadmap, my simple three-step system for understanding your body's natural fertile signs and pinpointing ovulation day so that you can use this knowledge to achieve or avoid pregnancy. To grab your free copy, head on over to fertilitycode.com.au forward slash roadmap. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Fertility Co podcast and the last episode of the podcast for a little while before I go off on maternity leave. I'm your host, Rachel, and today we are talking all things sperm and male fertility. More often than not, when we think about fertility, we immediately start thinking about the woman. Yes, women are the ones who have menstrual cycles and get pregnant and grow babies. But if it wasn't for male sperm, pregnancy would never be possible. And if a couple is struggling to conceive, it's about an even 50-50 split about whether it is a male or a female cause. So in this episode, we're talking about what makes up an individual sperm cell, how the male reproductive system works to maximise chances of fertilising a female egg, and we're also talking about sperm count, so how this is actually measured, how it's changed over the past 100 years for the general population, and some advice for couples who are trying to conceive and battling potentially low sperm counts as well. So, let's start with some male, female, or reproductive anatomy. For obvious reasons, we're usually pretty inclined to think that the male and female anatomy could not be more different. But believe it or not, there are a few similarities. Women produce eggs in their ovaries, while men produce sperm in their testes. A woman's egg leaves the ovary and travels into the fallopian tube, while sperm leaves the testes and travels through a tube called the vas deferens before it's ejaculated. And lastly, a woman's uterus and a man's prostate, both in about the same position in the body, produce nutrients for egg and sperm to optimise their quality and keep them thriving. So there's a very good reason why the testes hang outside of the male's body. The optimal temperature for sperm is about three to four degrees cooler than the normal body temperature, which is why it's so important not to overheat the boys. More on this later. Now, the scrotum that surrounds the testes will actually thicken and thin according to the outside temperature, which is why if a male jumps into a cold swimming pool, we see shrinkage because the scrotum actually thickens and pulls the testes back in towards the body to keep them warm. If he was to then have a hot shower, they'll drop down and hang further away from the body and the scrotum will thin to keep them cool. It's all about maintaining a consistent temperature in the testes for optimal sperm production. Now, unlike females who are born with all the eggs they'll ever have, males produce about 100 to 300 million sperm every day. The entire process of production and maturation of sperm takes about three months, which is why I really strongly recommend a pre-conception diet and lifestyle plan of at least three months for both male and female before trying to conceive, because we want his boys to be in the best possible condition right from the beginning of production. So they're produced in the testes and they're stored in the epididymis, which is a series of tubes, meters and meters long, that sits behind the testes in the scrotum. And this is where sperm learn to swim. It takes anywhere from two days to two weeks for sperm to swim through these tubes. And this is where they develop and are then stored when they mature and they're ready to be released at ejaculation, just before ejaculation, it's the cowper's gland that releases what we more commonly know as pre-cum or pre-ejaculatory fluid, a clear slippery fluid that's released before sperm then go ahead and prepare its pathway to the egg. So it helps sperm to survive and it actually neutralizes any acidity in the urethra. For some men, and very likely if it's round two of ejaculation, this fluid can contain live sperm, and this is why the withdrawal method may not be recommended for all couples as a method of birth control. More on this in episode 30, where I break down the effectiveness of the withdrawal method, among other non-hormonal methods of birth control. And then at ejaculation, the prostate and the seminal vesicles release semen, a fluid full of nutrients that helps sperm to travel and to survive. So an individual sperm cell is made up of two parts. We have the head that contains the nucleus. So all of that important genetic information that will then be passed along to the future embryo after fertilization. And it's surrounded by a thin sac called the acrosome, which contains chemical enzymes that actually help the cell to penetrate the egg. The sperm also has a tail called a flagellum, which allows sperm to swim out of the male reproductive tract into the female reproductive tract and towards the egg, as well as helping the sperm to wriggle its tail and actually penetrate through that egg with help of those chemical enzymes. Now, how long sperm can survive in the female reproductive tract will depend on where the female is in her menstrual cycle. So if she's in her fertile window around ovulation and her cervical mucus is thin and slippery and ideal for fertilization and conception, then sperm can survive for up to five days, giving it a pretty good chance of reaching the egg. If she isn't fertile at the time, then the thick, sticky mucus won't nourish sperm and it will die in the vagina's acidic environment in a matter of hours. The jelly-like consistency of semen actually also helps sperm to survive because its consistency helps it to stop leaking straight back out of the vagina after sex. It also contains sugars for instant energy for sperm so that it can swim faster and more efficiently to get to the egg. After a couple of hours, though, the jelly-like consistency tends to melt, and then, much to our annoyance, it begins to leak out. (laughs) Now, surprisingly, an ejaculate contains relatively small amounts of sperm, so... Like I said, males produce anywhere from 100 to 300 million sperm a day, and the number of sperm per ejaculate, which is about 2 to 6 milliliters, is 100 to 500 million sperm. This sounds like a hell of a lot when you only need one, but actually sperm is only about 5% of the content of ejaculate. The rest is fluid, and it's mainly from the seminal vesicles as well as some from the prostate gland. So for the women who want to avoid pregnancy, it doesn't matter how many million sperm there are inside a man's ejaculate. For birth control, it's more about knowing when you are or are not fertile, whether any sperm could survive and whether there's actually an egg there to be fertilized. If there's no egg, no matter how many sperm are present, pregnancy just isn't possible. For women who are trying to conceive, there's a hell of a lot more to a male's sperm count than how many sperm are present in ejaculate. It is a numbers game and ultimately, biologically the man wants to produce as many as possible just to get one there but a semen analysis is one of the first steps in assessing a couple's fertility if they are struggling to conceive it's far less invasive than female fertility analysis so this is where we often start and a semen analysis looks at the couple looks at a couple of things so it tells you what percentage of sperm are of normal shape and size and this is called sperm's morphology and it also tells you what percentage are rapidly moving forward and swimming in the right direction called motility so it's these three factors number of sperm per ejaculate morphology and motility that tells us whether a sperm count is normal low or infertile but just like with women, I think the word infertile is thrown around far too commonly and, quite frankly, it's a devastating word to hear. Of course, looking at sperm count absolutely gives an indication about chances of conception. But to say that someone has no chance of fertilizing an egg, to say that they are infertile, it only takes one out of that 100 to one to 500 million. So unless you're producing zero good quality sperm at all, then... I, I, I like the word subfertile more than I like the word infertile. What ultimately determines male fertility is the number of sperm that have the capacity to fertilise an egg. And like a lot of things, those numbers can vary. So a male sperm count would probably be considered normal if an ejaculate contained at least 20 million sperm per milliliter. That's hard to say, sperm per milliliter. And ideally, we'd like it to be between 20 to 200 million. Now, we'd also consider the sperm count normal if the total number of sperm were 250 to 300 million. But of course, we want the percentage of sperm with normal morphology and motility to be as high as possible. If your total number of sperm is above average, but none of them can swim and they're all abnormal, then they're still going to have a lot of trouble potentially fertilizing an egg. And the problem is that the expected numbers, the range that we like to look at, changes. So, One lab may want this result. Another lab may want another result. So just like things like nutrient levels, when you check them with a blood test, you want to know the numbers because if your doctor tells you it's all within normal range, you want to know if you're at the lower or the higher end of normal or smack bang in between because that's going to affect things. So the questions to ask here are, is the count considered normal, low or infertile? Again, I prefer the word subfertile over infertile. And to also ask how the lab actually reached this conclusion. Like anything, you want to get an explanation rather than just a number figure or a diagnosis. And if he does get a less than ideal result, repeat the testing at least one more time over the next couple of weeks. So just like lots of different factors affect our menstrual cycle, different factors affect sperm production. And it's totally normal for a single ejaculate to be inaccurate or just contain a lower than expected count. Over the last 100 years, the world has seen an alarming decline in sperm count and quality. In fact, there's one study from 1940 to 1990 that showed sperm concentrations fell from an average of 113 million sperm per milliliter to 66 million. So that's half. And there's another study of almost 45,000 men that found that from 1973, to 2011 the average sperm concentration fell by up to 60% in western countries it's a little bit scary like I said at the beginning of this episode for couples who struggle to conceive the cause is about 50% male 50% female but I think more often than not it's the female that's lumped with all of the invasive tests and investigations If your partner's sperm has been tested and the results are not ideal, then that preconception preparation window is really recommended to help improve the quality of sperm as much as possible. So put as much back in your control as you can and and control those environmental factors so you can hear my preconception advice for males in more detail in episode 22 of the podcast preparing your partner for pregnancy but in a nutshell here are some of the things that you'll want to address So the first is nutrition. Of course, that's going to be number one. Diet is everything. And so just like you are likely focusing on including all of the key nutrients that you need for optimal hormone balance, egg quality, and to support a growing baby, he also needs key nutrients to optimize the quality of his sperm. And so in that previous episode that I've mentioned, episode 22, this includes all of the key nutrients and where to find them in your food. Some of the main ones are vitamin A folate, zinc, vitamin C and E, and omega-3 fatty acids. Next, keep the testes cool. They hang outside the body for a reason, and even 1 to 2 degrees can make a difference to sperm count and quality. So avoid hot tubs and saunas, avoid sitting for long periods of time, either at work or in the car, and avoid crossing the legs. Cycling can have a huge effect too. So If your man is a cyclist, maybe tell him to cut back a little bit if you are on your preconception journey. You also want to keep phones and laptops away from the testes. So most men will keep their phone in their pocket, and this exposure has been shown to reduce sperm count. And I think that's probably a huge reason as to why the quality and quantity of sperm has dropped in those studies over the last 50 years. Mobile phones... And the exposure can also affect motility, morphology, and ultimately the viability of sperm. So you want to avoid any unnecessary exposure to these types of radiation by keeping your phones out of pockets and laptops off laps. I hope it goes without saying if you're trying to conceive, but just like with the females, the male should also be avoiding smoking, alcohol, drugs, because of the effect on sperm count and quality once again. And exposure to xenoestrogens, too. So, just like the female hormones, these artificial hormones that are in our environment can impact male hormones too. And this in turn will affect sperm quality and especially their motility. So you can check out episode 24 for some more details here. But any chemicals in our environment that we're exposed to that mimic the sex hormones, things like BPA from plastics can have a real effect. And I think this is probably a sweeping generalization, but the kind of employment, the kind of work that a lot of men do they are exposed to a lot of different chemicals. So it is worth looking at if if that falls into your lifestyle categories as well. And finally, exercise, but of course in moderation. So excessive exercise, which is considered to be two hours of high-intensity exercise five days a week or cycling for more than five hours a week, also has the potential to reduce the quality of sperm. So exercise is good, but not too much. So to optimize your chances of conceiving, if you know there's an issue with sperm count or quality, there are two key things that you can do to maximize your chances of conceiving. So your partner should avoid ejaculating for a couple of days leading up to your fertile window. So about three to five days before you start to observe fertile quality mucus, but no more than a week. So again, this is why it's really handy to understand your menstrual cycle have sex only every second day during your fertile window too. So this gives him time to build up his sperm count again, but try as best as you can to include ovulation day as one of those days. So like I said, this is why understanding your cycle and being able to identify your fertile window is so damn important when trying to conceive. If you want to know more about identifying when you're fertile and feeling really confident in knowing when you ovulate so that you can time sex accordingly for conception or also for birth control to avoid pregnancy, then I do invite you to join me in my free fertility masterclass. So totally free. When you sign up, you'll get instant access. You can watch it whenever you like. Link is in the show notes for this episode, or you can head straight over and save your spot at fertilityco.com.au forward slash masterclass. So that's all for another episode. I don't often talk about male fertility, but it takes two to make a baby and we need good quality sperm for pregnancy to happen. So it's absolutely worth understanding. And like I said, it is far less invasive than a lot of fertility testing that women go through. So it's definitely up there as one of those first things to investigate if your fertility journey isn't going as planned. So you can get today's show notes with everything that I've talked about in today's episode, as well as links to freebies and other related episodes at fertilitycode.com.au forward slash 45. And don't forget the links there as well to join the fertility masterclass over on the blog. Now, Like I said at the start of the episode, this is my final episode before I head off on maternity leave. It feels like I've only just got into the routine of recording again after my uh, morning sickness extended break. And I contemplated doing a full on binge creation of a chunk of episodes to keep you going while I took a break. But ultimately I decided not to. So I want my maternity leave and especially those final weeks before I actually have Bub to be as calm and relaxed and restful as possible. And so I thought that going into full-on creation mode would probably be a little bit counterproductive. So I'm wrapping everything up at once and going, I guess, completely into my bubble for a little while to prepare for everything as best I can. At this stage, I honestly don't know when I'll be back with new episodes. I don't have a plan. I don't have a date in mind. Hubby tells me I'll be bored on maternity leave and I won't be able to help myself, but I honestly don't know how I'm feeling. It's my first baby. So I'm not making any promises or plans if I can't stick to them because I don't want to put that pressure on myself or feel any sort of guilt. I want to enjoy this time as best I can. So thank you for listening thank you to those of you who've been listening from the very beginning. It's bye for now. And in my absence, please don't forget that knowledge is power. When you truly understand your body, you are empowered to make informed decisions and take control of your health. Until next time, whenever that may be, take care in the meantime. If you've made it this far, you deserve a huge virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Fertility Co podcast. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so make sure you hit subscribe now so you don't miss when the latest goes live. Why not make my day and leave me a quick rating and review while you're over there? If you want more, head on over to Instagram at Fertility Co, slide on into my DMs and say hello, or you can visit fertilityco.com.au forward slash podcast for show notes and access to all of the freebies that I talked about in this episode. Until next time. Hi, Rachel here with an exclusive invitation just for my podcast listeners. Desperate to ditch the pill, but the fear of getting pregnant leaves you in a cold sweat? Or maybe you want to halve the time it actually takes to get pregnant. You've tried all the apps, you're going through ovulation testing kits faster than you'd like to admit, and you have no idea if any of it is even worthwhile. If this sounds like you, I see you and I have just what you need. I am giving you access to my free fertility masterclass where I'll teach you exactly how to chart your menstrual cycle and identify your body's natural fertile signs so that you can achieve or avoid pregnancy naturally and without the stress. You'll learn the biggest fertility mistakes most women don't even know they're making. How to identify when you're fertile and pinpoint ovulation day without apps, testing strips or complicated charting systems, all in under five minutes a day. I'll even spill the beans on the one thing you need to get pregnant quickly and naturally, or to use a natural method of birth control that is equally as effective as the pill. Even better, I will hand over exclusive access to my signature four-part fertility framework. Want in? Of course you do. To save your spot for this free training, head on over to fertilityco.com.au forward slash masterclass. See you there. Let's talk about TempDrop. TempDrop's wearable sensor and accompanying charting app, Brings the full fertility tracking solution right to your phone, where the temp drop sensor on your upper arm during sleep and then just sync to the charting app whenever it's convenient for you temp drop believes that every woman should be empowered and equipped with the knowledge to take control of their body sound familiar that's where temp drop steps in to provide clear science-backed technology to help you to better track your cycle i only recommend products that i use and love and i love my temp drop tracker you can get 10 percent off your tracker with the code af Co, or head to fertilityco.com.au forward slash temp for more information